what's up, everybody, and welcome back to Think Like Me or Don't. I am your host, your philosophical fairy man, and the dude that just keeps going and going and rambling and going, uh, Brett Martineau. And I'm excited that you're here. I have uh, some interesting and exciting things that I want to announce to you today. Uh, I probably could have announced these things last week, but I didn't actually know about them. <laughs> so I'm announcing to them today. Uh, the first thing is um, this podcast, uh, you can now submit uh, little audio clips. If you have like comments or things that you want to submit, I don't know if you why you would or, or why you would have occasion to do that. But if you go to anchor.fm, anchor like the anchor on a boat, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm forward slash think like me, all one, all just spelled out, no hyphens or anything like that. Anchor.fm forward slash think like me. Uh, you can uh, record messages to send back. I think you might have to download it onto your phone and then you can record the messages that way. Uh, we also, as of this week, have turned on listener support. So in case, for whatever reason, you enjoy being tortured with ramblings uh, and you enjoy it so much that you want to pay for it to continue, feel free to do so. Again, the, the link is the same, anchor.fm forward slash think like me. Uh, and you can uh, you can make some contributions there, which would be really cool. Um, but I don't I honestly don't recommend it because that might be too encouraging for me uh, and it might make the podcast even worse. Um, in other news, this podcast episode is going to be a bit of a doozy. There's one segment that I'm almost positive is going to bore you to tears. I mean, I think it's interesting, so I would recommend you listen to it, but you, you probably have no reason to even care about any of the stuff that I'm talking about. So um, I did a good job of warning you when that part comes. So feel free to skip that if you if if it's if it's going to be too too uh, if you're not somebody that can handle boring. But but I will say. The next segment after that might just upset you. It might just piss you off. So if you need something to balance out the anger that you'll probably feel after that second one, maybe listen to the first one to get yourself ready for it. And then the second one will kind of bring you out of that, that depths of boredom with a little bit of riling, if you will, uh, and go forward that way. So I hope you enjoy this episode. The other thing is I, I actually did a, a, a little bit better job of balancing out using my phone to record some of the, ep some of the segments while I was walking Wick. And also this, uh, you can probably tell I'm using my nicer mic setup right now. So um, you get a little bit of the background noise problem and then some segments you don't get it at all. So hope you enjoy this episode. And now I'm going to, as usual, shut up and turn it over to me earlier this week. Peace. What's up? another wick walk <clears throat> today happens to be the 25th of august uh by the time you're listening to this it will have been i don't know like a week ago probably depending on when i release this um but the day i i was reminded today as i was thinking i, I, I always feel like the day after your birthday or the day after someone's birthday, or the day after some big momentous occasion of any kind, you there's this like void. Eh, not, void is a bit dramatic. It's like it's, you just feel like the the quiet after the swell. If that makes sense, where there was a big to do made about something, and then today there is no to do. <laughs> today there is no to do. Um. 
I'm actually always, I feel like I've, for all of my birthdays, and granted, I've only had 32 of them so far, and the first, I don't know, six, five or six, I don't even remember. <laughs> so I, I'm not super uh, experienced in this way, but uh, it reminded me of a book, or it's actually more like a short story, but it, I think it's about the, the length of a book, a little novella that we read in college um, called After the Ball, Poslibala. Um, which, uh, it's a Russian story, and I think anybody who actually knows the story can probably do a better job of talking about what it actually is about. I just know what I thought that it was about, which was, like, an artistic telling of the aftermath. So, the, the story, basically, it's very, it's a very romantic, capital R romantic, telling of this this beautiful description of this ball, right? And there's this girl that goes to the ball. She wants to meet a man. It's the olden days, so to speak. And so she, that's like the way that you met people is you go to these big fancy parties and they dance and then you hee 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 giggle with each other and blah, 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 right? So she goes to this ball. It's like her, I think it's like her first one or something like that. So it's a big deal and meets this guy and the guy likes her and stuff, and he's like a, I think he's like a well-to-do guy. Um, anyway, they meet, they like each other, and then the story, like, that part of the story is over pretty quickly into the book. And the rest of it is talking about what happens the next day. And how the guy, and I don't remember all the details, but I feel like the guy, the, the guy in the story, like, isn't as cool as he seemed the night before and like they they end up sleeping together that night and then she wakes up and has to go explain it to her dad who's like a soldier well-respected soldier and all this and anyway there's i forget all the details and i apologize to anyone who actually remembers the details of that story for how badly i'm butchering it um but uh but essentially it's it talks about and give a sort of voice to the emotions that you encounter the next day. And I remember at the time having thought quite deeply and quite a bit about that concept, about how popular media and popular entertainment, the stories are all about the party, like the thing. But there's not much... Uh, not much attention given to like what happens afterwards and I always thought it was funny because that's the real story in my opinion like that's what reality is that's the real that's the real part of it I guess you could say um, and so I thought it was cool that we that right about the time it was probably within about a year of me starting to think hey someone should write a book about what happens afterwards, and then we had we read this book. And again, I'm probably completely butchering what that book's actually about. <laughs> but I was reminded of it uh, this morning, talking about just thinking, you know, life goes on. And I think about that same time was when I started to lose, um, lose 
not interest, but lose the connection with my own birthday and with like parties in general. I'm not really a party goer, if that makes sense. Um, because for me, there's something, um, there's something a little bit more authentic and genuine in interaction that is not prompted by some kind of event, right? Or some kind of like catalyst. Like I'm more interested in the boring, mundane, day-to-day interaction. Like I, this is somewhat dramatic and passive aggressive of me, but I took, I took my, my birthday off of my social accounts so that people, because I, I just don't like the, the happy birthday that only comes because Facebook told you it was my birthday. Of course, now we're in a, now we're in a situation where Facebook is what does the remembering. So to expect people to remember your birthday when it's not on Facebook, that's why I say it's passive aggressive. But the real thing is I, I get so intrigued by the person who, even though there has been no interaction for months, thinks that um, a passing happy birthday makes up for that. As though, like, saying happy birthday is worth six months or a year of saying nothing. And not that I really care that much about all of my friends and family keeping in touch with me. I don't do it. I mean, I'm just as guilty as anyone else of not keeping in super close touch with all the people that I've, that I've been close to in my life. But it, I also am not the person that goes out and just says happy birthday on Facebook if I haven't talked to somebody in months. You know, because I feel like it's disingenuous. You know what I mean? And of course, this is going to sound like I'm ungrateful for the people that said happy birthday. And I understand also that there are some people that only communicate with me once and it's on my birthday. And I actually do appreciate it. My friends from Ukraine, uh, from when I was there, without fail, always on my birthday. They're usually the first ones to post about it. <clears throat> but they always reach out. And I think it's because I feel a difference there. Right? They're making a point to connect with me. Also, they know because they've written down in their diaries that August 24th is my birthday. And so they, like, it feels not quite as, like, they know that it's my birthday instead of nothing, nothing, nothing. Facebook says happy birthday. And now you're obligated, or you feel obligated, to say something, even though you don't really mean it. Because, in my opinion, if you really meant it, then we would have been talking already. And it would have just been, oh, hey, happy birthday, by the way, instead of, happy birthday, exclamation point, exclamation point, we haven't talked in seven months, we haven't even really acknowledged that each other exists, but now, suddenly, birthday is a huge thing, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really care about that, and I especially don't care <coughs> posting happy birthday on my, in, on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever means next to nothing to me. Not that it means nothing, just that's like, honestly, to me, that's the lowest form of, of congratulation or wishing someone well. 
especially when you have my phone number um, and could text or call, you know, or if we see each other, <laughs> you could just say, hey, congrats, or hey, happy birthday, or something like that. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to appear to be the type of person that remembers these things. Like, I don't care if you don't. I really don't. I don't care if you forget. All the people that didn't, I mean, more people that I know didn't say anything yesterday than did. And I'm fine with that. Because again, I don't... <laughs> When's the last time I said happy birthday to anyone? Think about it. If you're listening to this, most likely, I know you well enough to know when your birthday is. I don't say that to people. Because I don't want to feel disingenuous. And I, it's not even about them in that situation. Because I understand that people like being told that it's their birthday. I feel disingenuous myself. So it's a little bit of a selfish move. Because I don't want to... I can't really live with that feeling of... Well, that was wasted. Now I... Now, like... I can get my rocks off because I feel like... Oh, I'm a great person. I said happy birthday. But... Where was I three months ago when they were having that problem, but they didn't think they could text me. Or, not even that they would have, but if I had been in communication with them, it may have, might have come up and I might have been able to help, or at least just be another source of support. So, you know, I just don't, I don't feel that, that that's all that necessary, you know? And uh, so I don't, and I, and I appreciate more the people who... Um, say something direct or say nothing at all because I feel like it's more genuine um, anyway that, that all comes back to the idea that after the day after your birthday the day after the big party there you can there can be that sort of depressive feeling that like oh something's missing that was here before or ah oh man I wish it was still my birthday or whatever And for me, what I see is, what I feel is, oh, it's Saturday. I went to sparring this morning, sparred, got some great work. I didn't feel like, you know, like I, like anybody, like it was just, some people said, happy birthday, by the way, gave me a hug, which felt nice. But we just went on with it, like, just got on with it. Because it's not about the superficial, for me, I, I, I don't care about superficial things. I don't care if you tell me happy birthday. Um, it's, it's more about the actual interactions, you know, and I feel like if you, like I can sense, and I think most people can sense, if you're doing something or saying something just for yourself versus doing something or saying something for somebody else. Like, it sounds stupid and weird, but my abstinence from congratulating people on their birthday um, I feel like is a more is a less selfish move because I'm not trying to appear a certain way anyway that kind of turned into a rant I wasn't didn't actually think that I had that much negative emotion about it but how are you say hi buddy but uh, apparently I do Anyway, um, so that's all I have to say about that. See you in the next segment. 
What's up? This is going to be a special additional bonus wick walk thought. Um, but it's just because I had an experience. And so I wanted to share. Um, I, we went and watched um, Crazy Rich Asians tonight, which I thought was hilarious. Um, me and Sue, we went on a double date with our friends, um, Steve and Nicole. Steve is also Asian. Uh, Nicole is white, like I am, and so we thought it was, we thought it'd be hilarious to go watch the Asians movie with half of our, half of us is Asian, half of us not. Anyway, the movie I, I thought was really good, um, thought they did a good job of, I mean, it's a pretty classic, uh, rich kid meets poor, humble kid, falls in love, and then has to, like, convince the rich parents that it's, that love is more important or whatever. So the story was kind of um, not something that's new, but what I thought was amazing, there were moments that were created uh, by the cinematographers that were unbelievable. And it's interesting because you don't often think about um, like moments in movies where you're brought to tears as being you, you normally we think of those moments as being tied to the storyline or there's something emotional happening but I actually had this experience there's a scene in the movie I would recommend it just because it's a good movie it's funny but there's a scene this is wedding scene and the whole scene is like First of all, it's the most extravagant, lavish, gaudy wedding you could possibly imagine. But the whole scene is like constructed to evoke an emotional response. Because the way the way the music comes in when it does, the way the it's just, I don't even know the words to describe it. I'm not a I'm not a cinematic cinema critic or anything like that. But um, there's this moment where the, the, the flower girls and the, the kid bearing that has the rings come walking up the aisle. They're like throwing these flowers down. They get all the way to the front and give the, the rings. And then you look back up the aisle and they like run water down the aisle. So it like picks up the flowers. And now you've got like this little stream. And then the bride. There's this, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but she, um, she, like, steps into the water. This sounds so stupid and mundane, but, like, the way they present that step into the water with the music in the background and, like, the colors of everything, oh, it's just, just insane. Just the difference, the, the emotion that it, the emotion the emotion that it evokes because like I'm not a very sentimental person when it comes to story when it comes to like romance and stuff like that like I'm well it's not entirely true I'm pretty sentimental but not not I don't get choked up about you know a love story in a movie like that's not me I'm not really that that kind of emotional I'm more 
in tune with the nonverbal, right? The stuff you can't really describe or explain. It just sort of affects you. And there's something about there's something about that scene, just the way that it like built and everything about it that was that it was moving, like it was powerful. And I think it just hit me that whether I like really understand it or could vocalize it, I have like a deep visceral connection with audio visual art. And I think that the guys and girls that made that movie are to be applauded. Because that, I mean, that one scene, like, it's incredible. And I think the cool thing about that, too, is, like, realizing that you can be affected in that way by a scene, like, by the way that it is put together, all the pieces of it. Like, it was constructed for that purpose, that scene was. And I think it was brilliantly done. So, I guess this bonus episode just turned, this bonus segment just turned into a rave review for one scene from from a very a very niche movie. But uh, I recommend it. It's very good. Anyway, I'm out. Peace. Hey, what's up, y'all? So, I just wanted to warn you. This next segment is about 30 minutes long. It's very business heavy, and it's. I mean, listen to it. I think it's really good, but it's, I, I would imagine that it's probably kind of boring. So uh, I go into some, some advertising and marketing concepts that I've been thinking about recently. So if, if that's not your scene, you can literally skip like 30 minutes into the future and there will be more stuff to, to listen to. If you want to listen to it, go for it. What's up in this segment? First of all, you're going to notice that I'm using a little bit nicer microphone, so my voice will sound prettier. But also, there's less background noise, and that's because I'm in my apartment recording with my actual podcasting setup and not just my phone, which is what I have been recording. So it's like the first segment in the new style to use the microphone, <laughs> even though all the previous segments of all the previous episodes, aside from episode 18, were all recorded on this microphone or one of these that I have. Um, I actually started recording this on my phone earlier, but I ran out of time and I thought, you know what, it might actually be better for me just to record this on the real microphone because it's a little bit more in depth of a concept and I feel like I'll be able to get through it better if I'm not walking and having to deal with Wick, who by the way is, Wick's been, I don't think he really likes me recording while I'm walking him because every time I start recording about 30 seconds and he starts to pull really hard and he's a big boy. So sometimes you'll hear me cut out and it's because I'm, I have to take a second to pull him back or not let him yank me anyway. So the, what I wanted to talk about today, uh, or in this particular segment, it's Monday today. And I had a, an, ex, uh, an experience over the weekend, uh, an email from a client and I don't want to go into too much detail, but I do want to kind of give you the overall, the overarching, you know, look at sort of what happened because I think some of you might be able to relate to this, but I think more so than being able to relate to it, I think there's something very poignant. How's that for a big word? Poignant um, that came up. So, and also I think the biggest thing is there was a thought that I woke up this morning with and I haven't fully developed it. And so I, I thought, let's just kind of develop it on the fly. 
Um, something that I do quite often is, as I'm walking the dog, I'll just sort of talk through things out loud to myself. So I don't actually, um, I don't actually talk to anyone or record anything, but for, for a few months, I would just talk to myself as I was walking. Cause I find that listening to myself talk is the best way for me to work out thoughts and work out ideas. Um, so that mostly so that if I ever do have that conversation with somebody, I'm not working it out in front of them which is always a little bit awkward. So, <clears throat> so the thought, uh, the, here's the backstory. Let me give you the story from over the weekend and then we'll get into the thought and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of freeform from there, which will be fun. Um, uh, this experience essentially was a, a business owner. So my client is a consultant and I'm coaching them. It's a client and her sister. I'm coaching them, uh, on some, some things that they're doing for this business. Okay. So, the um the business owner does not have a lot of experience in marketing at least not in marketing in the modern age which i found to be a little bit interesting and confusing uh probably just my lack of experience of being a ceo of that type of business it's it's not quite e-commerce but it's more like commerce style business where um they're not necessarily a consumer product they're like legitimate business to business, which for a, the longest time, I think part of the issue that we ran into and that we are running into right now is the fact that not many people understand that business to business is not different from business to consumer. The difference is where the consumer is when they make the purchasing decision, which we're going to get into in a second. And this is not really an app. Uh, this segment is not really about that. I might, I might touch on that a little bit later in a different segment. Um, but anyway, he, this guy, this, this CEO doesn't really have a lot of experience, um, with marketing in the modern age, direct response marketing in particular. And he was, he wanted to take like too much of a hands-on approach to approving all of the marketing content we were going to put together. Um, he wanted to make sure that the way we were doing it was made sense to him, even though he has admitted to himself and everyone in the business knows and has said to him, you are not the target demographic. And so the, he's not really even the person that the marketing department should even be listening to because he, he would never be the type of person that would buy the product that they sell. Right? So long story short, we put together some, some, uh, some marketing and a, a plan and a campaign and he, it didn't, he didn't really like it. Um, and he, I'll kind of just leave it there. He, he did some other things that are just dumb, um, but there are reasons for them. But anyway, he, he came at it from a fairly naive standpoint, which was his thought was, um, we're going to approach this like I'm the customer and we're going to try and design it to make me happy as opposed to designing it to make the consumer happy. And one of the big things that he got wrong and that he doesn't know that he's wrong about, but that he definitely is wrong about is that he was like, we don't want to, we don't want to harp on people's pain points. We just want it to be a little bit. And he used this term. We want it to be a little bit more raw, raw. Okay. And, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, when I, when I heard that, it reminded me, there's a lot of business owners that I've dealt with in my 15 years of experience that they do the same thing. They have that same sort of approach. Like we just need to be rah, rah and like be really positive and say, Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. 
But those people, or at least the people, the, the, the segment of those people that are, end up being successful realize fairly quickly that that's not effective and it's not efficient. And there's a, there's a better way to go about doing it. And, um, anyway, so, so he had this incorrect approach and he, he was like, oh no, we, we don't want to do it that way. We were running a, a webinar and he didn't like the webinar with how the, how the webinar was put together. Um, even though I have just gobs of experience putting on webinars and being extremely profitable with them, which I told them to tell him. Um, but, uh, but they got me thinking that that's, like I said, that's a whole other thing that I could dive into deeper and maybe on, on another uh, episode or another segment I will. But the, the thing that I wanted to talk about is, which comes from that situation is, uh, I woke up with this phrase in my head. Excuse me. Um, and I want to feel it out and see, see how much I see whether I like it or not. So just go with me on this. Just listen. This is me, um, feeling out an idea that I haven't fully developed live, except it's not live, but I'm recording it live. I haven't actually thought this out all the way yet. So, so when it comes to business, what I've, my thought, my, my hypothesis is that advertising in the modern day, the modern age, uh, is all about psychology and it's about art. So it's about emotion, evoking a certain emotion at a specific time. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's more like advertising used to be, uh, very broad, very general. Like you, when you, if you're an ad person, the idea was you had a general sense of your target demographic in the sense that you knew in a general, in the general, most general of senses, uh, whether they read a particular magazine or they read a particular newspaper, or they had a, a, a particular predilection for a certain thing but it was nowhere near as hyper-targeted as we're able to be today. So back, you know, there, there's actually a really famous um, ad man from the early parts of the century, and I forget the guy's name, but he said, uh, I know that half of my advertising is extremely effective, I just don't know which half. <laughs> which speaks fairly directly about how advertising used to be run. It was just sort of a, a like I said, a shotgun approach. And they're obviously the better advertisers, even earlier on in the century when they didn't have the technology that we have now, there were better advertisers that did a better job of nailing down the brand, but it was more for larger brands, larger, more global nationwide brands that were, that had a larger reach and a budget. Okay. With the advent of social media and Facebook and Google and cheaper advertising, we can now spend we can have a smaller budget, but also a smaller audience. So it's a little bit different. And now more so ever than ever before, we can get super targeted in the particular advertising that we're displaying for people. So we're, we're looking for a very specific avatar. And because of the way that technology has advanced, because of the data that we un un unknowingly, uh, sometimes knowingly, but unwittingly give to these big data companies, uh, through our, our actions, advertisers have access to that data and can give us highly, highly targeted ads based on our psychology, right? So the first half of the thing I woke up with this morning is that advertising is about psychology. It's an, it's an art form. It's about being able to paint a picture that's going to evoke the emotion from the target customer that you want. And it's interesting because 
advertising is not just about the picture itself. It's about when you show them the picture. It's about the the buildup to showing them the picture. It's the build. It's everything. It's the whole process. So the night, I mean, the crazy thing about that te- the technology now is that you can be not only sp- targeting, you can only, you can not only target people based on demographic, but you can also target people inside that demographic at certain times. So what I said earlier about business to business, B2B being the same as business to consumer, B2C, which for those of you that are, that, that's a, uh, you should, not everyone's going to know what that means. B to in the business world, a lot of times people make a differentiation between businesses that sell to other businesses and businesses that sell to consumers. So a consumer product would be like a cup or a pen, right? Whereas a business product could be uh, like a software solution that a business would use. It could be uh, uh, like fleet vehicles, cars, anything that's being sold to a business. And Technically, I think the, the, the main classification, the main difference between the two is, is a business doing the purchasing, meaning is the business account the one that's going to make the purchase, or is it a personal account that's going to make the purchase? But what we fail to notice a lot of times, and what many advertisers and business owners today fail to notice and, and understand, is that it's not the bank, it's not the business account that makes the purchase. It's the person that has access, and it's the signator, signatory on that account. So it's still all B2C. We're always selling to a consumer. It's just the classification of the consumer and their demographic. Okay. So who is it that we're selling to? Not, is it a business or a consumer? It's, is the consumer buying on behalf of their business or are they buying on behalf of their person? Okay. So again, it goes back to psychology. Who is this person? What do they like? What do they dislike? When are they engaging on those platforms? What type of thing is, are they engaging with and how can we construct an ad that's going to display to them at the right time during the day and during the week, but also display the right message that's going to affect them. that They're going to see, and it's going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to speak to them in the right way. So, so that's a little bit more of an art form crafting the right advertising, um, for, 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 for that. Right. So just that's, that's getting someone to take action when they don't have to. And remember a lot of, most of the advertising that's done these days is done again on platforms that people are already on, which happen to be Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Now, obviously I'm speaking in wide, wide generalities and people are, are in lots of different places. In fact, there's a lot of people that aren't on either of those platforms, but the vast majority of the advertising that, that I do right now is done on those two platforms um, because those two platforms house most of the people that are customers of my customers. Okay. And if you're a business owner listening to this, wondering about this, there's maybe one of you in the entire world that's listening to this, first of all, and there's not a very good chance that you're a business owner wondering about advertising. But the truth is most likely your customers are there as well. And if not all of them, at least a good portion of them are on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so there is a lot to be said for going after them in that arena. Um, but you have to think about when are they on Facebook and Instagram? Okay. If they're a business owner, most likely it's in a, it's in several, one of several different possible scenarios. One, they are, um, they're, uh, checking in between like work projects or in between calls, they're just scrolling through. They're really busy. 
don't have time to like engage deeply with something, but they need like a release. They need to break away from something, right? Or it's on a lunch break. They're out with lunch, they're out having lunch and they're not really paying attention to the person they're having lunch with because none of us do anymore. And they're scrolling through their Instagram feed. Okay. Or it's at home on the weekend. They're trying to relax. They're hanging out with their family. You know, everything's relaxed. Their kids are watching TV and they're just sort of mindlessly scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, or whatever. And so you have to think about, okay, where are they? And what, so, so given where they are, how can we construct an ad that's going to speak to them? Okay. Because of the time and where they're actually at. Um, so that's, that's the, that's advertising side of things. I think it, it's more of an art form and it's a little bit, it's not something necessarily that you can teach. Um, there's a lot, the, the, the technical setup of an ad is something you can teach, but like the actual creative side is not necessarily something that you can teach because that requires an in-depth understanding of human psychology an even deeper in understanding of your own target avatar and the ability to craft a message that's going to connect the two together. Okay. And I, I think the part of the reason why I'm was thinking about this is because I think that the, the guy from our example, he, uh, was thinking that marketing and advertising are the same and that it's all sort of frou-frou, uh, happy-go-lucky, hippy-dippy, um, not scientific. But I actually think that marketing is just math. And let me explain what I mean by that. And any of you that that are into marketing will be intrigued by this and any of you that aren't, might this might be incredibly boring to you. But I see advertising as art and I see marketing as math. And here's why it's not so much that there's no, there's none of that advertising, uh, art that, that bleeds into marketing. Cause there definitely is like, you have to be good enough at copywriting. Your landing pages have to be good enough at converting. They need to be well-designed. But the, the interesting thing about the marketing aspect is that there is a clear divide between what advertising is responsible for and what marketing is responsible for especially today, because we have so much distraction, the consumer has so much distraction in front of them, that the likelihood of you taking somebody from initial engagement all the way to purchase in one flow, is very low, like that's probably not going to happen. So it's even more important now that your follow up attempts to take that person and convert them into a customer are even more uh, targeted and even better put together. But the important thing to, to recognize is that more and more business owners are behaving like their, their customers are. What I mean by that is, and I, this is me, this is not a very scientific, uh, I didn't like do a study. This is just based on my experience dealing with customer, with, with businesses and like being advertised to. Many businesses these days are trying to take that same uh, approach, which is very, um, one dimensional, very single interaction based. The idea is we're trying to, to generate enough sales from that initial interaction. And we're basically leaving everything else on the table. Okay. So let me get into what I mean. I know I'm, I'm, I'm taking the long way around to get to what I mean by marketing is math. Um, when you, when marketing is responsible for everything after the advertisement, all the way until the sale. Okay. So once an advertisement has been shown to somebody, once the person takes action, I mean, cause again, people are either going to take action on an advertisement or not. So if, if the advertising has done its job, 
then the person's going to see that advertisement. They're going to take whatever action you're asking them to take from the advertisement. Most of the time these days, it's to click to a page from an ad. Okay. Once that happens, advertising's done. It's done its job. Now marketing takes over. Okay. So now once marketing takes over, this is what I mean by marketing is math. A certain number of people are going to, are going to take the action that the advertising calls for. Okay. It, whatever, whatever the number is, a certain percentage of the people that the advertising is shown to are going to take the action. And it varies that the, the, the industry benchmarks vary widely, uh, for how much it's going to cost and that what percentage of people are actually going to take the action. But, uh, once the advertising has done its job and it's got the person to, to click or to take the, whatever action you're looking for, marketing takes over and marketing's job is to bridge the gap that exists between where the person, the customer is, or the prospect is at that moment and where they need to be to be in the right frame of mind to make a purchase. Okay. So this is everything from, you may have seen this before. This is everything from delivering free information, delivering videos, delivering, uh, online seminars, delivering education, whatever it is, uh, to get the person into the right frame of mind so that when you make the request for them to buy again later, they're more likely to do so because they've been correctly indoctrinated. Okay. Now, again, we're the advertising's job is to get people that are already interested in the product. Okay. So it's not like we're, we're trying to manipulate people with the marketing, but what happens is once, once advertising has got the person now, let's say they get, let's say the advert, the ad, we run an ad and we get 10 people to click on a link. Well, let's, let's make the math easier. Let's say a hundred people click on a particular link. Okay. And let's say for sake of argument, that the marketing that we're going to do to get this person to buy, let's say the product is a $1,500 widget. doesn't matter what it is. Okay. The, the, the method we're going to use in our marketing to get someone from that ad to purchasing is, uh, we're going to run what's called a webinar, which is a, it's like an online seminar. Okay. Which is the idea is it's going to teach the person something that they need to know about running their business or, or about their family life or whatever, uh, for free which is what the advertising is, is calling them to go do is, Hey, sign up for this free seminar. I'm going to teach you some cool stuff from that moment on, uh, a certain percentage of the people that click of those hundred are going to get to the landing page and they're going to register for the free thing for the free seminar. Okay. Let's say it's 30%. Okay. 30% is not a great percentage, but it's a fairly, it's a, it's a fairly, no matter what people will tell you, it's a fairly average percentage. <laughs> Uh, at least starting out. So let's say 30 of the people that clicked from the ad now have registered for this webinar, for this online seminar. Okay. Now a certain percentage of the people that registered are going to actually show up to it. Okay. And normally it's about 50%, 50 to 60%, 60. If you're doing a really good job with the follow-up 50 or 40, uh, if you're not so much, in fact, if people don't give any follow-up or no reminders, Sometimes nobody will show up, but let's say it's 50%. Okay. So hundred people clicked 30 people registered, 15 people show up to the webinar. Okay. Webinar is an hour long. There's questions at the end. Um, let's say that five of them leave during the course of the webinar. So now you got 10 people at the end of the webinar and the pitch that you're making during this webinar is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to hold a free consult consultative session with you to talk to you about whatever the thing is the thing being related to the widget. Okay. So where I'm going to talk to you about how to install the widget or why you need a widget or other 
you know, if it's a, if it's a, if you're trying to sell to business owners, it could be a business consultation. If you're selling to consumers, it could be, let's talk about all the things in your house and let's see whether this widget would even fit, right? Any of those types of things, right? So let's say we have 10 people at the end. Let's say two of those people are like, yeah, let's have a conversation. Okay. So two of those people have a conversation and let's say the guy that has those conversations is very convincing and he convinces half of those people to buy the widget after having that conversation. Okay. So now what we have, that was just the setup as more of the setup, I understand, but now we have what's called what I like to call a baseline. Now we know that 30% of the people that click are going to register. We're going to say 50% of the people that register are going to show up. Then uh, it's about 30% of the people that show up don't stay until the end. And then about two percent, uh, what is it? 20% of the people that stay till the end end up on that conversation. And then 50% of those people end up buying. So now we know, now this is where the math comes in. Now we know how much we have to spend on the front in the advertising in order to get a sale on, on what we call the back end, which is after the whole, after the whole thing is done. Okay. So if we're selling a thing for $1,500, then let's say it costs us $5 to get a single registration. What that means is we got a hundred people registered, which means we spent $500, $5 times a hundred is $500, but we made 1500. So this, what we call a funnel in marketing, this funnel is profitable, ROI positive, And there's a, I think it's a 200% return on ad spend or a 300% return. I don't know how the math works. I have to do the math with Excel in order to get it right. But there's a a massively positive return, which means if you spend, if you continue to spend money on the advertising, in theory, you're going to get, you're going to get, you're going to make back the money that you spend and you're going to make another, that, that money back again twice, I think is what it comes out to. Okay. So, um, yeah, twice it's 200% because it's, you make up the 500 and then you make another thousand, which is 200% of the 500, right? So the reason why I say it's math is because the art at the beginning is just to get somebody to take action, which is contrary to what they are. We know they already want to be doing, which is just scrolling through their Instagram feed. But if you can craft, uh, something an advertisement, an image, uh, some text, some, whatever it is, it's going to get somebody to to transition from their social feed into a an, a, a buying conversation. Then, uh, you know, that takes a lot of artistic and and a lot of uh, of psychological understanding of the person that you're actually trying to, to speak with. At, on the other side, once you get into the marketing side of things, it's just math. You know, okay, we got a baseline of. conversion from click to registration. Great. That means we're going to get, if everything holds true, if nothing changes, then we're going to get a 200% return on our ad spend. Now, what happens if we take that 30% uh, conversion from someone who clicks to someone who registers and we increase that to, let's say 40% or for to make the math easier, 50%. Okay. So now the hundred people that clicked instead of 30 of them registering for the webinar. Now 50 of them have registered. Okay. And now if everything else stays the same, 50 people registered, we decided 50% of those people are going to show up. So 25 now show up. Now, if 30% of those people, um, don't stay the whole time now, 30% of 25. Now the math gets a little bit wonky, but I think it's like, 
seven or eight. Let's do the math real quick. So 25 times 0.3. Yeah, seven and a half. Not bad. <laughs> I got it right on. Seven. So seven and a half. So 25 minus seven and a half. We'll, we'll round up because it's because it's people. So 17 people now made it until the end. And now if we say that 20% of those people times 0.2 make it till, till the conversation, that's 3.4, which again, we're going to round up. That's four people. Now if half of those people uh, convert, half of four is two. So now we've made $3,000 off the same 500 that we spent. Okay. So now, if, so again, if that stays the same, we spend $500 to get to 100 people. Then, and we increase the conversion from 30 to 50% on that landing, on the initial registration page. We've doubled the output at the end. Okay. That's just a math problem. And that's true for every point, every choke point, every conversion point, every contingency point, however you want to call it in that, in that, like I said, funnel is what we call it. So the first thing is, do they register for the webinar? Great. Okay. Well, now let's look at the next step. Did they show up for the webinar? Right now we got 50%, which is fairly average, but if we did a really good job, we could get that as high as maybe 60%. So now let's say we keep that 50%. Now we've got 50% people, oh, excuse me, sorry about that. 50% of the people that read that show up to that landing page register. Okay. So we get a hundred people times 0.5, 50 people. Now, uh, instead of 50% of those people showing up to the webinar, now let's say it's, we get it as high as 65, which is a lot, but let's say it's times 0.65. So now we've got 32.5 people. So again, 33 people have shown up to the webinar. Now the math gets a little bit easier because 30% of that times 0.3 is, is 10 essentially. So now we got 10 people didn't show up to the webinar. So that means I should have done the math the other way around. So it's actually 33 times 0.6, uh, hang on, 33 times 0.6 is 19.8, so 20. So now 20 people have shown up to the webinar, and then we decided 20% of those we're going to get on that conversation, so that times 0.2 is 4. Again, we don't actually increase it by, <laughs> by that much because, again, we were rounding up before, but 4 or 5. So, again, we're in that, that, that realm where it, where it bumps it up. But, again, that's just a math question. So is it going to make enough of a difference at that point? Okay, so let's move to the next step. The number of people that stay till the end. You can control that, right? You just have to make the the entire presentation more engaging. So you have again, that's that's where some of the psycho the psychology of the advertising comes in. Um, but the, it's all based on a mathematical principle that if you get more people to stay longer on the webinar, you're going to have more people buy at the end. Okay, so let's say again, a hundred people click to the, the page, half of them register. And then let's say, again, 60% of them or 65% of them uh, show up. And let's say we take that uh, that 60% stay till the end and we turn it into 90%. Okay, so now 33 times 0.9 is 30, right? 29.7. So 30 divided by, or 30, now 20% of 30, 20% being the number of people that got on the webinar that ended up on a conversation so 30 times 0.2, 6. And 6 times 0.5 is 3 times 1,500. Now we've made $4,500 off of the 500 that we made initially, which again, that divided by 500. That's an 800% return on investment, 800%. And all we did was take the number of people that click to the page that then register 
and increase it by 20%. Okay. So we went from 30 to 50%. We kept our show up rate between 50 and 60%. It doesn't actually make that much of a difference. And then we got an additional uh, 30% or 20% of people to stay on the webinar longer, like till the end. Okay. So again, all we're doing is manipulating certain key metrics along the way, and it's drastically affecting our output. Now, it's not, a, it's not linear. So you are always and constantly fighting to keep your, uh, the, the flow of leads, the, the flow of people that are coming in at the same quality and at the same cost. So I, all, everything that I've been saying is about, we can get a hundred people for $5 a piece. Well, that's not necessarily always true because the ad creative, the images, the text will go stale. So there is a little bit of upkeep that has to happen on the front end, but still that's more of an artistic endeavor. Whereas the conversion mechanism of the marketing is more of a mathematical endeavor. At least that's how I see it. Um, so anyway, that was probably really boring. And I apologize for anybody that listened to that and got just bored to tears. Um, but it's just interesting the difference when you start to think about uh, if you're a business owner or if you work in a business in marketing or advertising, if you think about your advertising as being more artistic and as your mar and your marketing from a high level, right? Again, I'm not, I, like I said, when you get to the specific email, when you get to the specific piece of content, the actual webinar slides, like the presentation itself, that's all very artistic because that's just a mini advertisement, right? And in, in those, in those specific situations, it's a mini advertisement that costs less admittedly, but you're trying to get somebody in the middle of whatever else they may have been doing to go and do something else. So if say they're on a yacht or whatever, and you send them a reminder email for the webinar tomorrow, you're trying to get them to read that email and remember while they're doing whatever they're doing, that tomorrow is this webinar that they want to get on. Okay. So, so at, at a micro level, the marketing is still, it's all just advertising, but at the macro level, that's where, that's the thing that, you know, if you don't understand the art at the micro level, you're definitely not going to understand the math at the macro level. Um, and so as long as the content on the micro level is good enough, then it just becomes a math problem. And it's how much can you put in, what's your budget and how much of what you're making are you putting back in towards your budget? So anyway, I'll stop boring you. We got more stuff to talk about, more segments to get into. So I will see you in the next one. Peace. What's up y'all? This segment is going to be called Pharisaical Hypocrisy. I actually recorded this last night on my phone, but I didn't really like the way that it turned out, so I'm doing it again. And it just so happens that I'm going to use my mic setup. So it's going to be a little bit nicer and you're not going to have all the background noise or hear the crunching of the bag where I was picking up Wick's excrement. <laughs> anyway, um, like I said, this uh, segment is called Pharisaical Hypocrisy, and it's going to probably ruffle some feathers. So um, I, I won't really say that I apologize for the ruffling of the feathers because I think it's actually a good thing. I think having your feathers ruffled on balance is, is a better, uh, it's better than not having them ruffled, if that makes sense. I, I find that um, in my, again, my limited experience, 
the times when I've been the most upset were immediately followed by the times when I've learned the most. But it's only in those situations when I look at why I was upset and really break down what it is that was causing me to be uncomfortable with the situation. And then from there, um, figuring out what it is that there is to learn about that situation. So I would, if you find yourself and your feathers are being ruffled, just hear me out. Uh, this isn't going to be that long. It's going to be relatively painless. Um, but uh, it, it's something that's important to me from the standpoint of accuracy and authenticity and honesty, really. Um, I, I have a, a personal philosophy that, um, that it's, well, it's really hard for me to not be accurate when I know that something is, has changed. Like I had one of the things again, by the way, if you have not listened to episode three of this podcast, I would recommend that you go do so. It'll give you some context for some of the things that I'm going to talk about. But it, long story short, it talks about how I uh, left the Mormon church. I was Mormon for almost 30 years of my life and then left a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that eventually, I won't say drove me out, but one of the, the contributing factors to my leaving the church was there was a consistent effort on the part of uh, the people around me to... Um, almost suppress certain thoughts or questions or feelings in favor of what they called faith. And I, and again, I, I, there's a lot that happened, and I, I don't want to I don't want to do anybody a disservice by by calling out things that I that I don't have a chance to you know to to let people defend themselves. So I don't really want to go into that too much. But I, I do know that I had a problem because I tried in many situations to just forget my questions. I tried very, very, I tried, and it was a physical exertion. I tried to, this is going to sound funny to anybody who's seen the Book of Mormon musical, musical, but I tried to turn it off. I tried to turn off the, the questions. I tried to turn off the questioning nature of, of what I was doing and, and saying and thinking, and I, I couldn't. And I found that, the, that the, a lot of the reason I think why I couldn't was because um, it was, I, I just couldn't find, I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let anything go. Like it, I had to, I had to get answers to those questions and, and I, I couldn't get myself to the point of accepting something on faith that didn't make sense. And I, Anyway, I won't go too deep into that because that's not the point of this segment. Because again, we're talking about something else. But, but I had a the the reason why I'm I'm making this segment and the reason why I'm ruffling feathers and I'm okay with it is because I have um I have more. How do I put this delicately? I have more loyalty to honesty and truth than I do to any one individual person on the planet. Put it that way. So it's more important to me that we all, that everyone who's in, who's related to me or that's connected with me in any way, that we are approaching both our relationship and our relationship with the world in an honest, authentic, and accurate way. Okay, so I know that's a five. That was a five-minute long intro uh, to the what's probably going to be another five-minute long 
continue the intro and then um then we'll actually get into what i wanted to talk about uh so the, the the second half of the of the the setup to this, let me give you a little bit of a backstory. One of the things um, that is a, a a fairly popular principle, fairly popular doctrine in in the Mormon Church, and to be honest, it's it's actually um, fairly popular in most Christian religions. I think um, is basically trash talking the Pharisees. Now, if, if you don't know the story. Uh, if you're not familiar with the New Testament, in the Jewish faith, back in the, in Moses's time, uh, Moses put forth the law of himself, the law of Moses, which was a, a set of rules that was designed to keep the Israelites from sinning. For I mean, obviously, I'm simplifying, but that's essentially what it was. It was a set of rules that was designed to keep everybody from from doing things that God didn't like. When, by the time Jesus came around, those rules had been turned into more than just the religion, but it had been turned into a cultural, uh, a, a cultural standard. So much so that there was a class of people in, at the time, at the time of Jesus, there was a class of people called the Pharisees who were like the, the like the priests, they, well, they weren't actually priests. They were just, they were the people that were really good Jews, essentially. And they, you know, they had, they had political position. They had power in the community. They were the people that were like the, the non-clergy rabbis, so to speak. So they were the people that everyone sort of looked to as an example of what it is to be a good Jew, right? So they were, they were very, um, they were very particular about the rules of the law of Moses. And in, in fact, when Jesus came, one of the things he said, and Mormons love to talk about this, and I loved to talk about this when I was a Mormon. One of the things he said is that the Pharisees had, had, had created the hedge about the law. And what he, what he meant by that, what I think he meant by that is they had created this series of rules that extended the uh, law of Moses into these other areas, uh, basically, uh, the idea is, it's, if if the rule is, if the actual law is don't speed, then the Pharisees' rules would be don't go over, like you, the maximum amount you can drive is ten miles an hour under the speed limit. Okay, so now you've got the rule, which is forty-five miles an hour, or whatever. But a Pharisee is going to say, I'm I the right way to be is not just to stay under forty-five, but it's never to go above thirty-five. Okay, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with with that idea, except if you're uh, not from a moral standpoint. Obviously, from a practical standpoint, nobody wants everybody driving ten miles an hour under the speed limit. Um, but from a moral standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that. The issue came about because that became the standard measure of righteousness in the in the Jewish faith, in the church at that time. So instead of there were there were plenty of people that were being plenty righteous and that were that were god fearing and and from the standard the actual standards of the law of moses were excellent jews but because of this cultural standard that had been created by the pharisees um they were looked down on 
so there's a classic story of a Pharisee going into a, a, a tabernacle or a, uh, I forget what they're called, going into the temple and praying and saying, oh, thank you, God, for making me better than everybody else. And thank you for blessing me with all these wonderful things. And I'm so happy that, that my life is so great. And then there's this other poor guy that comes in who, well, he's actually not poor, but he outwardly is seen more as a sinner because he's what's known as a publican, which is like, he's a, it's kind of like a, somebody that the Jews didn't like as much, somebody that's considered like not as righteous. And he came in and he was very humble in his prayer. And Jesus, this is obviously coming from a Christian background, but Jesus was saying, better to be the publican, the guy who looks bad, but is actually humble than the guy who looks super righteous, but in his heart, he's really sort of puffed up. And he said, Jesus says that one is, one is, uh, one is lovely to God, I think is what he says. But the important thing he says, the other one is, is like a sepulcher, pretty on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. <laughs> I love that line, full of dead men's bones. The point obviously being, you know, on the one side, there, there was Pharisees who were being outwardly showy in their righteousness. And then on the other side, there were uh, these people who, who weren't, didn't look as righteous, but that were actually closer to what Jesus was saying was the right way to be from a, from a righteousness standpoint. Anyway, so you, the, when I talk about pharisaical hypocrisy, what I'm talking about is it's the hypocrisy of the Pharisees that, that sh outward show of righteousness that's not backed up by any internal uh, commitment to, to righteousness or truth or any of that kind of stuff. Okay. Now, um, the reason why I'm bringing this up again, I, I, I knew it 10 minutes of, of intro and then 10 more, five more or five minutes of intro and five more minutes of intro. And now we're actually getting into what I, the thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, in the Mormon faith, there is a, um, there are, uh, there, it's a Christian religion. Okay, so there's the standard Christian, the Ten Commandments uh, from from the Law of Moses, and then there's what what Jesus says: love everyone and love your neighbor as yourself, um, and love God, and all the principles in the in in the Bible. Um, they also have additional scripture, the Book of Mormon, which just further emphasizes all the stuff that Jesus said. Um, essentially, don't be a don't be a dick to other people. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Um, and then they have additional scripture that they believe was uh, revealed to their more modern day prophets. So there's a, there's a book of scripture called the Doctrine and Covenants, which is essentially the same thing as some of the early books in the, in the Old Testament. The idea is God was speaking to the prophet at the time, and he wrote down what God said, and that became scripture. Okay. Then there's this other thing called the Pearl of Great Price, which I won't get into because this isn't a this isn't really a history lesson, but there's one section, there's one small chapter uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is that section I talked about that was, it was given, it was created a little bit more recently. Um, there's one section which talks about health, um, and it talks about, it's called the Word of Wisdom. Any of you Mormons that are listening to this will, will know that I'm, this is where the feathers start to get ruffled. I have always had an issue not with the doctrine of the word of wisdom, but with its with its implementation, with the practice of the of the way that the word of wisdom is practiced in the Mormon Church, and it's not because I think that that we should be able to drink and smoke and and drink coffee, although I 
do love a good cup of joe. Um, it's not because of that. It's because um, it's because in so in the Mormon Church, just a little bit of backstory as well. The highest sort of uh, indication of worthiness of righteousness or whatever is uh, having what's called a temple recommend, which means your bishop or your the local authority has deemed that you're worthy to go into the temple. That's like saying, okay, I've, I'm doing the right stuff. Um, not obeying the word of wisdom is considered like a, a, a you're not allowed to go in. You know, you can't get a temple recommend if you are not obeying the word of wisdom. That makes, that's fine. I think that makes sense. It makes sense that if, if, if part of the religion is being healthy and keeping your body in a certain state, then I think it makes sense that that would be something that would keep people from going into the temple. However, the implementation of the word of wisdom is less about being healthy, which is what the whole section is about, and more about not drinking coffee or tea or alcohol and not um, smoking. So it, it has little to do, there's, there's very little emphasis put on the actual like actually being healthy, and there's a an absolute massive amount of emphasis culturally and uh, and from an impl implementation standpoint, massive amount of emphasis on um, not drinking coffee or tea or drinking or smoking. So even though the the law, the word of wisdom, uh, even if you take it as canonized like doctrinal law, it's about more than just coffee, tea, alcohol, and tobacco. In fact, those, all, all of those four things are listed in two or three verses, and, and it's like two pages worth of, worth of this law. So it's not, a, it's not actually a, a, a large percentage of the, um, of the doctrine itself. It's a, it's a very small percentage of the doctrine that talks about coffee, tea, alcohol, and tobacco. And the, the, hip, the thing that bothered me the most is the fact that you, it was easier for somebody who was healthy, uh, sorry, it was easier for somebody who was massively unhealthy, drastically, morbidly obese, and I don't mean that from like a, I'm not talking about people that have thyroid issues, I'm talking people that are gluttons, right? Morbidly obese, uh, unhealthy, they drink a Diet Coke with every meal, they, they go to the, 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 the local 7-Eleven, they get their their 100,000 ounce Diet Cokes, you know, twice a day. They have ice cream with every meal. Um, they don't exercise. They don't eat vegetables. They don't, they don't take care of themselves. Those people are admitted and, and they're permitted, I should say, to go into the temple, no problem. But somebody who is actually taking care of themselves, somebody who is, is legitimately exercising and watching their diet and and putting good food into their into their body and taking care of themselves and actually being healthy and taking it seriously but happens to you know maybe maybe one particular bishop happens to think that green tea is not okay so he doesn't give you a temple recommend or fruit tea is not okay because fruit tea is tea so there's this implementation thing which admittedly it's kind of a small, a small issue, but I think it makes a point, which is sometimes the, the hypocrisy of the implementation of that particular law 
is a little bit too much. And I, and I think the real point here is, uh, it, the, the real issue you can see is that creates a problem on a much deeper level, that emphasis on the word of wisdom, because in practice in the Mormon church, word of wisdom is like living the word of wisdom is like one of the most focused on and one of the most important rules to live by. Obviously, they in Mormonism, they talk about a lot of the different, they talk about a lot of different things, you know, uh, chastity, being honest, um, not doing drugs, not getting tattoos. They talk about language, not swearing. Like there's a lot of, a lot of things that they talk about in the Mormon church. But one of the big things is, one of the huge things is word of wisdom. And, and it's so much so that I, as somebody who has left the church, have found it very difficult to allow my family to know that I don't live the word of wisdom anymore. I used to for 30, almost 30 years. It was very strict, but I have, in fact, right now I'm drinking a cup of coffee as, as we, as we record this. In fact, I'm gonna take a sip because I'm thirsty. And I have a beer with dinner once or twice a week. And, um, and I smoked a cigar the other night. And interestingly enough, smoking a cigar, you don't actually smoke the cigars. You just sort of puff the smoke into your mouth and then blow it out. Like it's basically the same as secondhand smoke. And I know that, that those revelations, this is what's, this is what's crazy to me. The revelation that I drink coffee and that I have a beer with, with dinner every once in a while, and that I, you know, I smoke cigars, um, I know is shocking and almost to, to like in almost in a, in a bad way, um, and would be to a lot of my family members. And, and I, and it, the crazy thing is that I'm not even Mormon anymore. And I find it, I thought it was something that I should keep from them for the sake of not making it awkward. And for the sake of, you know, not, uh, not like making them think that I, I can't be talked to or something when, when the, and the hypocrisy comes in the fact that those are minor issues from their standpoint, from the standpoint of any Christian faith, any Christian faith, there's a much bigger elephant in the room that nobody is talking about. And that is, Sue and I are living together. We're not married. And you can extrapolate any, all, all you need to from that. We're not married. And far more important from a, from a general Christian sense is the law of chastity, and I'm not going to go too much into it because I don't feel guilty for it at all. So it's not, I'm not trying to guilt trip myself or Sue. And if she hears this, I, I don't want her to feel like I'm trying to guilt trip her. I'm just making a point, which is for me to be so indoctrinated for 30 years, that word of wisdom, that the word of wisdom is so important and, and that it's this massive thing. And it's this massive issue so much so that I'm afraid I'm, I'm key. I'm for the sake of my brothers and sisters and parents, I'm, I'm avoiding any and all appearance, like to the point of we hide our liquor when they come, I'll take all the beer out of the fridge. I take all the liquor off the countertop and put it in the, the fridge. I hid my cigar humidor, which admittedly I had just barely gotten. I'm, I, I'm not like a chain smoker, but I just barely got it, but I love them. Uh, hid the coffee 
because, and I don't, I, I make a point not to post things about coffee and drinking and stuff like that. Not that I care, not that I want to, but I've made a point to not post things that show me drinking or, or having coffee or any of those kinds of things for the sake of my family, because I was like, I don't want to offend their sensibilities, right? I'm just trying to be a, a, a nice, you know, a, a considerate person. And yet flying in the face of their own doctrine, flying in the face of all of that is the fact that, you know, it's like one of, it's probably top three worst sins from a Mormon standpoint, living with someone when you're not married. You, you can't do, that's not something you're allowed to do. Um, and it's much worse. And so my, my, what I've realized is that if I'm going to be judged for drinking coffee, then I sure as hell better be judged for living with Sue. If you're going to judge me for like, if you're a Christian and you're going to be upset, the fact that I drink alcohol, I have like a beer, like again, once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe, then you better judge me for the fact that I am living with a girl out of wedlock because it doesn't make any sense. This is why I started out talking about accuracy and, and authenticity and honesty, because it doesn't make any sense to me for me or Sue or anyone else to be judged for these little virtually insignificant things. There is nothing morally wrong with coffee. Now there might be something morally wrong with disobeying a church leader. If that is a thing, that's fine, but there's nothing morally wrong with drinking coffee or drinking alcohol. And, and if the standard that you have holds me accountable and there, and, and holds me to the point of judgment for those actions, then in all honesty and in all accuracy, it should hold you to the same level of accountability to judge me for the bigger quote unquote sin. So again, I'll say kind of as a parting note for this one, uh, if it's shocking to you, the reason why I said at the beginning is that this might ruffle some feathers is if it's, if your feathers feel a little bit ruffled because I'm talking about it's okay to drink coffee or it's okay to, to drink alcohol. If you find it, your feathers ruffled by that revelation about me, then it's a little bit hip hypocritical. Well, I'll put it this way. It's a little bit hypocritical for you or me to put more emphasis on the drinking coffee and the drinking alcohol and the smoking than on the more serious uh, infractions. And I think that for your sake as a religious person and for my sake as a human being that cares about accuracy, I, uh, I think it makes more sense for us to put things in their actual place. And so not that I'm going to start blasting onto all of social media that I, every time I have a beer or every time I drink coffee, um, but it should be known that I drink coffee and I drink alcohol on occasion and I, on occasion I'll smoke a cigar and I'm okay with it. And again, if you have a problem with it, you should have already had a problem with something else. And if you, if you have a problem with me drinking and not a problem with me living with Sue, it's called pharisaical hypocrisy. Anyway, that's that. Um, on to other things now.
Well, I hope you enjoyed all of that. Um, or at least if you didn't enjoy that, you found it thought provoking. Um, I hope that I didn't bore you to tears with that long thing about math and art. And I also hope that I didn't drastically offend you with my thing about pharisaical hypocrisy, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And that's, uh, sort of what happened. So hope you enjoyed. This is the 19th one. Be back next week with number 20. Super excited. Peace out, y'all. Thank you.